Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we're going to be talking about a very intense Hal Ashby film from 1978 called Coming Home. Uh, it won three Oscars, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Actress, on eight total nominations at the 51st Academy Awards. Big time movie at the at the Oscars. Uh, it's only behind the films The Deer Hunter and Heaven Can Wait for most nominations at that ceremony. It was the 15th highest grossing film from 1978. Yet, it is very, very hard to find. You can't rent it on Amazon Prime. You can't rent it on Vudu. It's on no streaming service. You have to buy it on DVD. That's exactly what we did. That's what Connor did. Connor found it online. Just a few days ago, ordered it, came in the mail. He watched it. He brought it to me while I was at work. I watched it last night. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're on the same page here. It, it kind of blew us away. Um, intense movie about a love triangle, 1968, uh, based in California, but we have a lot of Vietnam stuff going on. Didn't really know what we were going to be getting into with this movie. You know, you kind of going in blind. I love doing that. Um, I'd say the reason I wanted to see this is because I'm interested in Hal Ashby's work. I'm very interested in John Voight, Bruce Dern, of course, Jane Fonda. So it felt like a one to like, hey, we need to knock this up, knock this out, you know, as, as uh, cinephiles. So we found it. And I, I'm, I'm jealous, man. I'm, uh, you have it on your shelf now, and I, I want to own it as well because I like, really responded to this movie and was sobbing like a little baby by the end of it. And I can't wait to kind of dive into it. Yeah, I was I was shocked that this is not more widely available. I mean, considering, you know, how impactful this film was and how celebrated it was in 78 and how financially successful it was. It's weird that this has been kind of buried. And I don't really know why. But yeah, if you have 13 bucks, you can buy a basic DVD from Amazon. That's your only way to watch this unless you already have it. Uh, but it is a phenomenal film about the tragic aftermath of the Vietnam war and how it affected soldiers in different ways, you know, both physically and mentally, as well as the, you know, the people they had waiting for them at, back home. It's a, it's a harrowing drama and a crucial piece of the American story. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, I think I find it really interesting that we've very recently did a movie uh, called platoon from 1986. This would be kind of a, fascinating double feature with that movie a little bit of 70s and 80s american cinema uh platoon is definitely you know in the shit kind of movie you know you're seeing firsthand type stuff uh down on the ground and in, in in asia and uh with this movie you're you're really it's one of my favorite things about it your main perspective is really is a woman who's married to someone who's fighting um that's that bruce dern plays captain hyde uh, you know, he's off, he's off in Vietnam fighting and uh, we get to know him a little bit at the beginning of the movie. He's kind of this, you know, macho, like, let's go fucking beat some heads in type guy. And his wife, Sally, uh, she is supportive. And then throughout the movie starts to kind of change her political views as she starts thinking more about the war as an individual. And it's fascinating. And then John Voight plays Luke Martin, a, a brilliant character. A paraplegic who fought and was injured in the war. He's back home, you know, trying to trying to deal with what he has to deal with now for the rest of his life, which he can't use the the, the lower half of his body. So 
Uh, and it's kind of this love triangle between them three, right? And we really get to know things through the perspective of someone who is waiting, who is waiting for their person to come back from war and how to deal with it. Uh, and then you throw John Voight in the mix, right? And he's a guy who's already dealing with it here, you know, back in the States. So really fascinating, you know. Um, Platoon is definitely the kind of masculine, like, let's fucking see what's going on on the ground. And this movie is very much the kind of liberal take on it. Right. Uh, and, and I, I appreciated that. I'm, I'm starting to really come around to Hal Ashby as a, as a director. Uh, he unfortunately passed away I, a little too young, in my opinion, at age 59. Uh, he passed away in the late eighties. So this is just 10 years before, uh, uh, 10 years before he passed away, coming home comes out. So, you know, I think he had a lot more to say. Uh, so sad. Yeah, his work is definitely pretty reflective of uh, more of a liberal mindset of of the seventies. What I've seen from him, and I I love that. I love that he was you know kind of challenging these these norms at the time. I mean, you know, seventy eight is not far off from like I don't I think when did I, I know that this is going to be sad coming from the history book, but when exactly when did Vietnam end? When did we when did we pull out of Nam? Uh, around then, mid or early mid seventies. So let's yeah. see, uh, 75, 75. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. which yeah, yeah, three years. This later. is that, that's a fresh fucking wound. So for, you know, Ashby to open that and say like, yeah, this was terrible. We shouldn't have done this. This is what, this is what these people have to deal with. I take some balls and I appreciate that. You know, I mean, around that time, you know, like I think the most well-known Vietnam film at that time is probably apocalypse now. And that's very much not a, a liberal take on on the war. That's very much a like, let's fucking get him gung ho, you know, yeah. take out the communist kind of a movie. Uh, but you need these differing perspectives. You, you need them to get a whole, you know, rounded opinion on big events like Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. One of the staples kind of uh, the forming of our country for sure. So, yeah, I think you and I are always wanting to get every possible perspective, especially through filmmaking. It's such a fascinating art medium to, to to showcase this kind of stuff. And I, I think the way Hal Ashby went is one of my favorite ways I've seen the Vietnam War, you know, subgenre of, of films to be done. I thought, I thought it was really, really, really interesting. And, you know, uh, we're definitely going to kind of do an old school type episode with this. We're going to talk a lot about the individuals that, that make coming home what it is. Uh, but I do want to kind of, you know, go back and listen to listen to you and, and what you've been watching this past week. I know uh, about a week ago now, last Monday was the Better Call Saul finale. So Jesus H, man, you know, uh, one of our favorite shows is over and I'm still just like kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. I love the title. It's all gone. Like that was a perfect yeah. title. And yeah, the episode just played out like the final act of some Shakespearean tragedy. It was perfect. It was, you know, just Saul getting in his own way, able to, you know, talk the lawyer, like the the opposition down to seven years for all the horrible shit he did. And then yeah. just not being able to keep his own mouth shut, having, you know, being partially, you know, wanting to make sure Kim didn't go down for his own for his crimes, but also being like, you know, I did this. This was my achievement. This is my victory. You know, well, I made Heisenberg like that was just so incredible to see. And then for him to also, you know, renounce the name Saul Goodman and be Jimmy McGill again. 
was, yeah. it was cool. It was like, you know, Jimmy did this, like not Saul, not Gene, Jimmy. And yeah, I was, I was enamored. It was a fucking fantastic finale. Yeah, for sure. And so much symbolism throughout it. Like you said, just kind of played out like a Shakespearean, just epic. And, you know, I've said this before, we've been talking, we've been opening these Oscar Sunday shows up with kind of getting to getting to know each other as far as uh, what we've been watching throughout the week, you know, just kind of catching up as friends. And so now we've talked about about half this Better Call Saul season on this show. <laughs> uh, I, I just admire, I admire the patience. I admire the willingness to never rush, never rush to anything, to any conclusions, to never, to never give us too much or too little. And, and Bob Odenkirk is just a fucking just monstrous performer in this show. And I'll never forget just how much fun I had this whole, this whole time uh, with, with of course, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, I'm going to miss it a lot for sure. It's really the only show, uh, you know, scripted TV show that I was watching literally week to week. Every time it came out on Monday, I was, I was always, always ready to watch it, you know, and you and I would text each other throughout the episode, like, holy shit, you know, just, those things are cool. Those kind of cultural moments you have where you're like a part of something and you feel like you can have a conversation with, with different fans uh, of, of the show. And that was, that was really special. And because I don't watch a ton of TV, I know I miss out on a lot of those, uh, those conversations. Cause that's what most people watch these days. You know, if the new show comes out on Netflix, they just breeze through it and everybody talks about it and has those moments with each other. And then they move on to the next one. I'm not really wired that way anymore. And, you know, cause I'm always just watching, watching movies. So it was, it was nice to be on that side of the fence for, for a change, but uh, I'm more comfortable on the other side. <laughs> yeah. And I never, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, Breaking Bad became insanely popular and it became like, you know, something that everyone should see. And I do, I do uh, believe that, but it was never about the popularity. It was about the incredible storytelling potential of Vince Gilligan and what he was able to accomplish with these two incredible TV shows. And yeah, I'm going to have these with me forever. I'm going to watch them randomly. They're coming, you know, they're comfort food. They're like, I know I can count on some incredible storytelling and just a good time with these, with these shows. And I'm grateful for that. And yeah, I'm going to miss it, but you know, we got 11 incredible seasons out of Albuquerque. So I'm, I'm content. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Right. Uh, I've already, you know, of course, you know, watch Breaking Bad when it was going on from 2008 to 2013. And then I, I've already rewatched it twice, like all the way through. And uh, that, you know, I'll probably do that again. Uh, I'll probably rewatch Better Call Saul maybe in like a year or so. Watch that all the way through and then watch Breaking Bad all the way through. Kind of do it that way. Yeah. And and I'm like, I'm totally down. I'll, I'll waste fucking 120 hours, you know, of, <laughs> of my time to to kind of give it to that, to, to that world, to Vince Gilligan and those characters. I just, I just adore it. And uh, I, I never thought I'd believe it or say it out loud, but this, this past season of better call Saul, I've, I've been kind of sticking by my guns that it's better call Saul is just as good as breaking bad or maybe even better. So that's just fucking crazy, you know, to be able to do that uh, special stuff. We don't talk about TV on this show ever. So we were both, really affected by it and uh 
loved loved the way it stuck the landing. So very very happy for for them. You know, it, it felt right that that shot of Kim and, and Saul or Jimmy in the like in the jail cell with the light kind of just shining through and they're sharing the cigarette. I was like, fucking cinema. <laughs> well, I, I love the idea that like Saul is going to take care of Jimmy when he's in when he's in the can. Like, yeah, he, he's been he dedicated his life to keeping criminals out of prison, and they all see that as like you know he's one of them. He's he had their back. He's they're gonna have his. So that was a nice vibe of like, prison's oh, not gonna break James McGill. He's gonna be fine. No, and and I would I would give an arm an arm to to watch a season a season eight episodes of of Jimmy in prison. <laughs> like I, I would I would I would give give a lot for that. Uh, yeah, great stuff, man. Um, we also you know for coming home, we both did some some homework that we were both kind of on the same page with. Uh, we both watched. Runaway Train, 1985, because John Voight was up for Best Actor in that movie. Uh, we also both... Well, you watched The Last Detail. You hadn't seen that before. Yes. Uh, that's an incredible movie, also directed by Hal Ashby. So we were kind of trying to knock out things that are in this realm, you know, with John Voight, Hal Ashby. Uh, I watched... Uh, I love Jane Fonda. I'm trying to knock out as many of her movies as I can. I've seen a lot of her nominated stuff but for fun i watched nine to five because i'd never seen it what a delight what a delightful film you know just so much fun and like a female empowerment movie and it just a good piece of 80s 80s uh pop culture uh i also watched um hal ashby's being there from 1979 with uh peter sellers really good movie i think you dig that one a lot you know um that's a really interesting movie to do like literally a year after coming home just shows kind of the, the range how Ashby can have. And uh, I also watched um, for some, some 1978 action. I watched uh, heaven can wait, which was up for nine Oscars at this, at this 51st Academy Awards. Wasn't a huge fan of heaven can wait. You know, I've learned as time has gone on, I'm not a huge Warren Beatty guy. Uh, I don't think he's like, you know, I don't think he's the best director around. Uh, I think he's really fun to watch. Like he's a he's a movie star for sure. Uh, I really love him in the Parallax View. Uh, I thought he did decent in Bugsy and Reds, uh, and of course, you know Bonnie and Clyde. But uh, th- this movie just had some like weird plot issues that I just wasn't down with. Uh, but it does want it does have me going down that rabbit hole of uh, uh, what's that movie from the I think it's from the '30s. Uh, Here comes Mr. Jordan. I think that's what it's called. Uh, 30s or 40s i don't know and that was up for some oscars and this movie is kind of playing with the same plot uh the same source material as that so i am interested kind of in this in this story but uh yeah heaven can wait was fine i give it like a seven out of ten whereas you know coming home is like a strong nine for me i fucking loved it and i would much rather vote for coming home than having can wait for best picture but uh what did you think of the last detail because that is Hal Ashby. That's my. That was my introduction to him, and I was like completely blown away. And I thought I think it's one of Jack's best performances. It's a delightful film. It's you know a movie about just guys being dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slice of life. Yeah. yeah, and just I love the idea of just you know a poor kleptomaniac kid having his whole life being you know ruined because he fucked with the wrong people. And Jack and this other guy just being like, we got to we got to do something for this kid. Like, we got to show him what life, you know, the the joys of life before they're all snatched away from him. 
Yeah. And then just the bender these guys go on. It's 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 a it's fun to watch, and you know it gets super fucking deep at times, but it never gets you know, I, it's it's definitely more comedy than it is drama. Uh, doesn't get too sappy, and in the end, you know, they drop them off and they go home. <laughs> it's like yeah, was it like did it matter or like does that even matter? And yeah. I, I like that idea. I don't usually like films that ha- are kind of aimless, but there was something about this. This is Jack is so fucking magnetic. It's impossible not to like him. Yeah, you really can just give him a room and let him kind of roam around and feel it out. And and that's kind of what he's doing in the last detail. Uh, yeah, I really, really, really like that movie. I watched it maybe a year, year and a half ago on Criterion. And I was just like, damn, this is... Jack was just at a different fucking level at that time in his career, you know, and the... The, the 73 to 75 run is really crazy. Hey, you know, he's in that Chinatown and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He's just on a different playing field than everybody else. And I was really surprised by Randy Quaid in it. So yeah, yeah. really, really good movie. Um, and then of course, runaway train. We both were like, what the fuck? This is sick. <laughs> that was insane. I, I, I hadn't even heard of that film till you had brought it up and I looked into it and I'm like, this sounds pretty fucking awesome. I might watch this too. And yeah. I did. And I'm, I was like, I was glued. I mean, that, that was amazing. I, it had the vibe of like, you know, a disaster movie, but I love that. It, it's basically two different movies. Like it, you know, it's the prison movie and then the train movie, but it meshes so well. Yeah. Uh, and I've never seen John Voight like that. I watched this before I watched coming home and I, I had never seen John Voight like that. Like it was yeah. a, a side to him. I didn't know existed. Cause I always known, I've always known him as, you know, the paycheck guy from Anaconda National Treasure. I've never seen him as like an actor. <laughs> yeah. This was, this yeah, was yeah. new to me. Like I saw Midnight Cowboy, but that's about it. And yeah, him and Eric Roberts are great together. And just the whole, you know, the idea of just being trapped on a train with no engineer and no brakes. Like it's so basic, but it's so terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's immediately became, you know, uh, uh, we did Midnight Express not that long ago on this show or, Shanghai Express, sorry. Shanghai Express uh, on this show. We did that not that long ago, and we did top five train movies. This would be on my list if I would have seen it before. Uh, I was listening to people talk about Bullet Train, that new film uh, with Brad Pitt, and they were talking about some of their favorite train movies, and they started talking about Runaway Train, and I was like, what the fuck is that? And and there was one guy, his name's Van Lathan. He was like, I know people haven't heard of this or like, it's not really in the stream of conscious for like movie fans these days. He's like, but it was like up for Oscars. It's like a great eighties, weird, got a weird, like kind of creepy synth horror fucking score to it. Yeah. He's again, John and John Voight's like putting in a shift in this movie. And I mean, yeah, they're like, he was right. And I checked it out because of that. And because I was like, Hey, we're going to be talking about John Voight. I want to watch more. Cause I'm the same as you, you know, transformers, national treasure, like that kind of like weird two thousands run he had. Uh, that's more what I'm, you know, accustomed to with him. His, it, you know, his post prime stretch. And now I have a whole new respect for him. And, you know, he's in his, he's in his eighties now. And you just, this year has not been kind to that generation. And you never know when these people are going to go. And I do think, Sometimes it's important just to kind of go back and give yourself some perspective on these performers and directors and writers. So I'm glad we both did that. 1985, uh, him and Eric Roberts are both up. So that will be 
an Oscar Sunday one day that I loved that movie. Uh, it felt like uh, like a cousin, like a long lost cousin movie of like John Carpenter, you know, it was just like fucking awesome. Like every five minutes, you're kind of you, you're given another reason to kind of get on the edge of your seat. Like every five to ten minutes, you're like, holy shit, fuck, like tension just got raised to another level. And I love that in movies, man. And Eric Roberts is, a, is an interesting guy because everything I've read about him in the 80s is like he was supposed to be one of the next of, you know, the guy, like one of the guys. And obviously he's not really had that kind of a career. But I, I like his career. You know, I like the random stuff. I, I really, really like him in the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman movies. You know, um, I think he's a really interesting face to look at, has a crazy voice. And, and I, I, I do enjoy him in Runaway Train, although I probably wouldn't give him a nomination. That was my, I, I felt that too. I was like, he's good, but. John Voight is acting circles around this kid. I, I agree. John Voight, the, everything from his tooth to the accent he's doing to his face was just red from how cold it was. Like, I just loved John Voight in that. Just the buildup of the character. Like, he's been in solitary for years. Manny. They yeah. welded his his cell shut so he couldn't even try to escape because he's broken out of this joint like three times. Yeah. And this the day they let him out, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm out. I'm gone. And yeah. there, there was a line uh, where I think it was Rebecca De Mornay said, like, you're an animal. And he's like, no, no, worse. Human. Yeah, I'm human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. when I love when Manny's like um, uh, when you have the warden in the helicopter and he's like, come on, I'm right here. I'm right here. I won. I won. He's just screaming at him. Oh, I was just dying. I was laughing, but also like frightened. I was like, this is great. Like all, all of my emotions are coming out. And there were some really, really impressive shots in that movie. Like you said, this is a cool premise of a train that has no conductor and no brakes and it's just going. And there were some really cool shots of the train going under the tunnels and then coming out. And I was like, man, this is just, this is my kind of 80s movie for sure. I also love just how they blended, you know, the warden's pursuit of of the of the guy into this. And yeah. like, when, he, when he's like kind of drowns the one guy in his own piss and is like, yeah. wipe that off. And the guy's just like super terrified <laughs> of this psycho. Like, what is uh, this movie? Oh, brilliant. God. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. So I, I, I can't wait to do that one day on this show and just kind of do a random 80s Oscar-nominated movie that I think has just been forgotten. It's on HBO Max right now. I, I highly suggest it. <laughs> Highly, uh, I think that we both kind of came away like hell yeah. That was that was one that we're proud to have seen, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a little bit. Let's start with uh, let's start with Hal Ashby. Um, he's got three total nominations, one win. Uh, we've actually talked about him before, a long time ago, because he used to be uh, before he became a director. He was he was an editor. He was a film editor and. He won an Oscar for Best Film Editing for In the Heat of the Night, 1967. Best Picture winner. So, decent flick. Uh, the year before, he was nominated for Best Film Editing for The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming. I haven't seen that movie, but I'd love to. And then he was nominated for Best Director for Coming Home, the movie we are going to be talking about a lot in a little while. Uh, this guy, This guy's underrated. Underrated. He is not one of those names that you hear all the time. When you talk about this era with uh with you know mainstream uh, movie fans, but for me he is, and uh, 
I'm ashamed that I haven't seen Harold and Maude. I'm, I'm ashamed. I've had so many people recommend Harold and Maude to me. I've been same. Yeah, I've been meaning to get around to that one. I I will I will try. Uh, I do love when editors and cinematographers become directors because it's like they've already done the nitty gritty work. They know how it, how the sausage is made, so they're going to be much more you know aware of each shot. I think because of that prior knowledge. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of cases like their work really stands out. I I totally agree. It didn't take him long. He edited just a few movies and then became okay. This guy knows what he's doing. Uh, he directs the landlord, Harold and Maude, the last detail, shampoo. Shampoo is is fucking bonkers. Uh, Bound for Glory, coming home, being there, secondhand hearts, looking to get out. Uh, and then he does uh, a documentary called Let's Spend the Night Together. He does a music video for the Rolling Stones, which makes sense if you've seen Coming Home. Uh, there's about seven songs by the Rolling Stones and Coming Home. Uh, he does The Slugger's Wife, 1985. Uh, you know, this guy just, you know, turned out turned out a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s and then passed away in 88. So uh, really interesting career that I, I am keen on learning more about. You know, uh, very cool voice. Obviously, a man of culture. You know, this guy, the soundtrack for Coming Home is like, are you kidding me? This is the coolest music taste you could have in 1978. <laughs> yeah. He definitely was, you know, he wasn't fucking around. He knew what he wanted to say and he knew how he wanted to say it. And I respect anybody with that kind of vision. Yeah, totally agree, man. Um, first performer I want to talk about because she's my gal. She's one of my favorite performers um, that I can think of is Jane Fonda, two-time Oscar winner, seven-time nominee. Uh, she is just a force on the screen. I didn't really know anything I knew about her, of course, you know, and I had seen some of her stuff from like the past couple decades, but she's, you know, again, it's kind of like same thing with John Void. It's like, okay, I mean, neat, but what are you really capable of? Uh, I would probably on Golden Pond is the one I saw first, uh, you know, like my early, earlier years um, of watching, you know, that movie, of course, with also Henry Fonda. Uh, that's, a, that's a good movie we've talked about on this show too. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but uh there was a there was a collection on the Criterion Channel, uh, long time ago. Now it was one. It's one of the first things I tackled when I when I signed up for that uh, streaming service, and I just started fucking going after her movies and finding out that you know the, the, man this this woman was something else in the seventies, uh, and I've totally fallen in love with her. Uh, she was nominated for the first time for 1969's They Shoot Horses, Don't They, uh, and then. A couple years later, she won the Oscar for Best Actress for Clute. Incredible movie. You watched that as well, huh? I did, yeah, for the first time. And uh, you didn't tell me it was basically a psychological thriller. You didn't tell me that. So Clute, Clute is, you've seen, um, uh, now I don't want to fuck this up, uh, All the President's Men. Yes. And I want to say the other movie in that is The Parallax View. Those three movies are uh, all by what's his name? What's that fucker? The um, Pacula. Yeah, they're they're all directed by him. It's like called the Paranoia '70s trilogy, <laughs> and uh, Clued is the first of those. And the score is like one of the best I've ever heard. And you feel every moment of tension throughout that movie. Very very '70s, you know, very very '70s movie. And she, that's kind of that's 
in a way that's kind of her coming out party of like hey i'm i'm a fucking like tour de force and she won <laughs> you know she won on her second nomination and one of my favorite best actress wins of all time for sure well she was also you know very well known for her uh political views and her social activism that when, oh, yeah. she, when she won for clute apparently everyone was worried about what is she going to say and there was yeah. a much over the crowd and i watched a speech and she just basically said like there's a lot to be said but i'm not going to say it here so thank you it's like fuck i love that i love that she's like there's a time and a place and it's not right now it's like wow to, to be able to do that and then to just go on do you know continue to be jane fonda it's like well done <laughs> it, yeah yeah and, and then it adds to the performance she's putting into coming home, right? It's like, Jesus, man. She's just, I just love her. I love her to death. She's like a stunning, stunning human being. And on top of that, she has skill just oozing out of her. And I, I could, I could watch her all day. Uh, and Clute is certainly one of the, one of the front runners for like my favorite performance of hers. Uh, she was nominated again, uh, 1977 for Julia. Uh, and then she won for the movie we're going to be talking about more, Coming Home. Uh, and then another personal favorite she was nominated for the year uh, year after, uh, 1979's The China Syndrome. Love that movie. Uh, her and Jack Lemmon are fucking so good in that. It's got one of my favorite car chase scenes of all time in that movie as well. I, I just love The China Syndrome. Another weird, like, 70s paranoia. Just everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? I love that mindset. <laughs> Fascinating for movies. Uh, and then On Golden Pond, 1981. Uh, and The Morning After, 1986. She was nominated. That's her last performance. The Morning After is not a great movie, but her and Jeff Bridges are fucking awesome. So it's worth watching, you know? Uh, yeah, not, not not a great premise, but yeah, they're, they're both great. Easy to look at kind of actors. So she's amazing. You know, this is... It's not very often that we come across uh, someone who has this many nominations and two wins, you know, uh, to put, to put it into perspective, like Denzel Washington, you know, one of the greats has two wins on, I believe nine nominations, you know? So she's like in a really special place when it comes to Oscar history and performing, uh, just very hard for people to get two wins. You know, that's, that's not something that happens often and she did it. Well, also, you know, she, I'm sure she had to overcome, you know, accusations of nepotism being you know yeah. Fonda's daughter and oh yeah she had to prove herself and god knows she did and you know she's part of a hollywood dynasty that continues to this day and that's fucking awesome i love when when people have it and she looks so much like her dad it's fucking weird <laughs> like those fonda it's, jeans are strong <laughs> it's bonkers and uh, <laughs> And, and you know what? What a cool family! I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, to have that last name is uh, definitely means you you should probably have some talent to back it up. Well, as we've seen four times, they do. <laughs> yeah, it's work. It's worked out. You know, their batting average is, is pretty fucking good. So, uh, yeah, lo- God, I, I, lo- I love her. I, I'm, I want to do Clute as its own episode one day. Just kind of like really, really give her, you know, all of her roses and maybe maybe by then we both will have seen more of her work and we can do a top five Jane Fonda, you know, and just kind of really, really hammer at home that she's, a, she's someone you should go back and watch. You know, she's, she's great. Uh, next guy I want to talk about is, is Mr. John Voight. <laughs> uh, four-time nominee. Um, 
Midnight Cowboy, right? That's a movie I believe we've talked about. When we when would we have talked about that? When we did Z? That's when we did Z, yes. Okay, that was a long time ago, right? Uh, yeah. But I do remember we both you know, had good things to say about that movie. It's a Best Picture winner. It's definitely a movie that I, I, I see as kind of um, the Oscars are changing, right? Yeah. Uh, moving from the 60s to the 70s. That's that's a really, really cool time in, in American cinema. And Midnight Cowboy is kind of a fuck it, we're going for it type movie. And I, I respected that one a lot. Uh, so, and then, you know, of course, coming home, he, he gets he gets the dub. And he's just, he's so good in coming home. It, it kind of blew me away how he plays this paraplegic. Uh, even the scars looked, you know, scars on his back. They show at one point, you're like, man, like the commitment is really impressive. And I love that he got a win for it. Uh, and then Runaway Train, kick-ass movie. And his last nomination was for Ali uh, from 2001. So <laughs> I, I like Ollie. Uh, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a decent flick. It's not it's not my favorite or anything, uh, but I do like it. And I like him in it. Uh, but again, this is that era. You know, two thousand four National Treasure, two thousand seven Transformers. You and I, our our opinion of him is much different than what it is now. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Ollie's interesting because he's you know he's Howard Cosell, and it's a. Uh... It's funny to see. He does a good job, but it's like with the makeup and everything, it's way more of like an impression than it is a performance. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's not really my favorite kind of Oscar nominated performance. Yeah. And I was not aware until just now that I have apparently seen all four of John Voight's nominated work. So that's pretty we, cool. <laughs> we both have. Let's rank them real quick. What's your favorite? Of the four, it's Coming Home by a Mile. Coming Home, not by a mile. I love him in Runaway Train. <laughs> You know, uh, and then it's Midnight Cowboy, and then yeah, Ollie. Yeah, yep. I I second that. <laughs> I don't think uh, you know, I don't think many people if they saw all four of them, I don't think many people would disagree with us. I think Coming Home is very obviously his like, look what I can do, look how like look at my capabilities as an actor. Runaway Train's like that was fun as shit, and you know Midnight Cowboy is like oh cool, he 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 did really well in a really good movie, a Best Picture winner, and then Ollie is like ah huh, fine, you know. Probably could have found someone else in 2001 to give the nomination. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's it's <laughs> interesting. He's such a strange... It's like there's two John Voights. It's like there's 70s and 80s John Voight, and then there's, you know, baby genius, one, two, three, four, five, John Voight. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, yeah, it's... You know, he's not quite... Has as many, uh you know, personalities as, like, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage has, like, nine stages, but... John Voight has clear a clear dividing line, you know, as he moves into the '90s and 2000s. Uh, I do want to see more stuff that to kind of broaden that that opinion that I have. So I will be more inclined to watch John Voight stuff now, which is something I never really thought I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Ever since I saw Anaconda, I was like, "This guy won an Oscar once," and then I watched Coming Home, and I'm like, "Oh, was it that guy?" Or like. Was John Voight abducted by aliens in 1988 and replaced with this lookalike clone who's not nearly as good as him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anaconda is such a uh, such a fucking crazy, you know, because he's doing a obviously like a fucking ridiculous accent in that movie, and he's doing a ridiculous accent in Runaway Train, but it works and it's good. And Anaconda, it's like, dude, oh my god, this is a white guy. He's he's supposed to be Portuguese or something, uh, or what is it? I always thought and, he was supposed it, to be Cajun, but honestly, who knows? In, in in Anaconda, I thought he was supposed to be like some like I 
Latino guy. I I don't know. No one really knows. He just kind of does an accent. Like, nobody knows what the accent is. It's just an accent. (laughs) Fucking ridiculous, you know? Uh, I I, I don't get it. I'm going to... I kind of love Anaconda, though, you know, just because it's fucking ridiculous and stupid, and I just have fun. It's a popcorn movie for me. I watched it not that long ago, and I I had a blast, and I laughed a lot, so... Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's a fun movie, uh, but he is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he's Paraguayan. Ah, there we go. That's what it is. I knew it was some. Yeah. Okay. It's in South America. Okay. Oh, guess uh, what's going in my thesis? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I figured. I figured you'd be all over that. You know. Because uh, yeah, it's like look at this. They, they're like, hey, let's just give him like a ponytail and some stupid fucking accent, and he'll be a guy who's like, I know these waters, but it's like he's doing a Boston and latino and i don't even know like oh, I, they should have just like made him from florida or something you know and just make him a white guy he's a white yeah guy. <laughs> yeah just make him a white guy from florida who's like i love the swamps you know i, I don't know stupid anaconda is not for oscar sunday it's for it's for it's for other stuff <laughs> so great uh bruce dern mm. bruce dern a personal favorite for both of us just kind of like one of those random character actors uh who had his day you know had has had his day throughout the decades and you know we just did a movie not that long ago uh you know we did once upon a time in hollywood right and Bruce stern plays a really really interesting character in that movie and you know we've we've seen him in tarantino movies and we both we both are huge fans of the burbs and he's you know he's a he plays a great character in that oddly enough if if coming home doesn't end the way it does, we'll get to that later. But if it doesn't end the way it does, you could see the Burbs being him later on in life, right? You could see him being Captain Hyde later on in the Burbs, which is weird. Yeah, it's funny. He just, you know, he he's found adrift. He changes his name. He marries a hot blonde, moves to suburbia, and he's Rumsfeld. Like, I totally yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would too. God, I love the Burbs so much. Uh Special, special movie. But Bruce Stern was nominated for Supporting Actor for Coming Home, and he also was nominated for Best Lead Actor uh Nebraska 2013. So a huge gap, you know. It's a 35-year gap for, for his Oscar nominations. And, uh, you know, he's just always been a dude I love. Uh, when he's there, I'm, I'm happy. Cool with it, you know. He's he's not quite like an actor's actor, you know, type guy. He's just kind of, he looks like he's just, doing his job you know and, and i like guys like that these kind of everyday type guys who who just step in and do their job and uh you know his daughter laura dern is is one of my favorite one of my favorite actors of today so i, I really like in her speech when she shouted him out and was like my my dad's got game i think is what she said something like that uh and that was really neat you know because you're like yeah fucking bruce does he's the man <laughs> uh i love him in coming home he has some of my favorite you know, moments of the movie. Uh, and towards the end, he obviously tears your heart uh, into two pieces. So uh, good stuff. And we're going to be talking about him more later for sure. Yeah. I've always been a fan of Bruce Stern. He's character actors are my, you know, my forte. I fucking love character actors and Bruce Stern, you know, he does have that vibe of just like, you know, I'm here for the check, but I'm going to do a goddamn good job. And I, I like, yeah. I respect that big time. Uh, and yeah, the Burbs is obviously my favorite, but I do love him in Nebraska. Uh, I see him randomly. He was in um, he was in Monster. Yeah, just for like not even five minutes, but he was great. 
it's it, great. He's the man. I, yeah, I'll I'll back Bruce Stern forever. Yeah, yeah, I w- I will too, man. Um, here here's here's a person that I didn't quite know much about. Uh, Penelope Milford. Um, oof, what a performance in this in this movie. It's her it's her only nomination ever. Um, man, you know, there really was a chance where they knocked out all four acting categories. You know, there really was an actual chance here with Bruce and and, and Penelope. Obviously, Jane and John both won. So that I would have been all for that. I thought they were both fantastic in this movie. And Vi, that character, Jesus Christ, you know, uh, the stuff she goes through uh, in this movie. It's a really interesting perspective to have in the movie. And she knocks it out of the park with what she's given. It's not it's not a ton, but what she's given, she she brings the heat. And I'm I'm curious about what else she's done. You know, this is her lone nomination. So I'm always always I always raise an eyebrow at those people like, did they ever miss anything? You know what I mean? Yeah, I had never I didn't know who she was. And there were moments where she was, you know, on equal footing with, with Jane Fonda. And I'm like, wow. I mean, she has a hell of an emotional arc in this movie. And yeah, how do you not just feel for her? Yeah. God, man, some of this stuff, uh some of the stuff that just kind of happens in this movie. It's a very, very seamless, just kind of you need every moment to kind of stack on top of each other type movie. I love when we get those and this is certainly one of those where it's very hard to kind of pick scene by scene. It's more, it's, it's one of those movies where you're like, Oh my God, I, I, I keep feeling horrible for all these people. You know, like you just, just kind of adds more and more weight to your shoulders as a, as an audience member. And it uh, really makes you think. And she made me think a lot. Oh yeah. It makes you feel, it makes you, you know, it brings out your humanity. Yeah, there's times where you're not really you don't feel like you're watching a movie. You feel like you're watching somebody's life just fall apart. And that's just, you know, you want to help. You want you feel like you want to do something to like, I want these people to have a happy ending. And now you just know they're not going to get it. It's it's fucking emotional, man. Yeah, extremely unforgiving uh, last 10 minutes of this movie, for sure. Um, We got to talk about the writers of this movie, man. Um, Waldo Salt. What a cool name, first off. Uh, Waldo Salt. Uh, once I looked at his kind of his resume, I was like, that makes sense. You know, <laughs> this, this guy's got some stuff in his bag. Uh, and and a, a guy who's got some Oscar stuff going on. Uh, he won for screenplay, uh, Midnight Cowboy, 1969. Uh, he was nominated for Serpico, 1973. Fucking love that movie. Uh, and then he won again for Coming Home, 1978. Uh, yeah, I mean, talk about a talk about a cool ass ten year run right there with the with the Oscars. This screenplay is fucking amazing and deserves all the accolades it got. You know, all the respect it got. So, gotta gotta hand it to that guy. But he had some help. You know, um, Nancy Dowd. Uh, she was also credited uh, as a as a as a writer for this movie, and she this is her lone nomination. So, uh, you know, got, gotta shout her out as well. But I'm I'm curious to look at more work from from this guy waldo salt you know uh <laughs> just just a cool fucking name and 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 obviously these movies impacted us a lot he he you know wrote a bunch of stuff in the 30s and 40s so like his 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 uh fucking career spans over decades and decades you know coming home is the last movie he's credited for writing so wow very very song yeah, very, very fascinating. He died uh, in the 80s as well uh, at age 72. Uh, and 
I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I want to see more stuff. I want to see some of his old work. Yeah, me too. That's, I hope I have, um, I hope I have a story like coming home in me at the end of my like life. You know what I mean? Like, I hope I still have the ability to do something that amazing when I'm that, when I'm near the end of it. I know exactly what you mean. You know, a lot of like, when we, especially with the movie industry, this thing that we like both love so much, you find out how really you're like in your prime when you're like in your forties and fifties. And then you, 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 if you still got the juice, you still got the juice into your sixties and seventies. It's very rare for a guy to be in his twenties or thirties to just come along, get that, you know, be at, be at the helm, direct a movie, write a movie, which is why we like guys so much like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, the Coen brothers guys who just started and just went out the gate and were, you know, have been making movies ever since. But most of the stuff we see, you know, these guys are, guys are older and so yeah i i hope i have something as creatively uh interesting and impactful as waldo salt's you know screenplay for coming for coming home uh but robert c jones also helped write this movie uh and he was also a film editor uh you'll love this he's the guy behind editing guess who's coming to dinner <laughs> yeah Incredible. how about that how about that uh he's got four oscar nominations uh, best film editing, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Nineteen sixty-three. Guess who's coming to dinner? Nineteen sixty-seven. Uh, Bound for Glory. Nineteen seventy-six. And then he won screenplay for Coming Home. So this is another guy who went from editing to writing, and you can just see a lot of talent in this in this dude. So I feel like this is a movie. Uh, a lot of these seventies, sixties, seventies movies can be kind of gateway movies where you start learning more about look at all these connections, you know, and all these different things where people just kind of got work where they could and gave it their best shot. And maybe later down the line, they become Hal Ashby. So I I love learning that stuff. Yeah. It's cool. Just seeing, you know, an era of Hollywood where people were finally able to be as creatively original as they could be. You know, there were no more restrictions. No one was holding them back. No one was saying this, nobody wants to see this, or this is inappropriate. All that was gone. And it was just creativity left and right i fucking love it me too man just, time and time again every time i watch a kind of uh big 70s movie like coming home i'm it's even more validated in my mind that it's it's it is my favorite decade of especially american cinema just everyone's just saying fuck it and like you said no no bars you know no 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 more no more lines in the sand we're fucking going for it and I'm I'm all I'm all about it. I I eat this shit up. So, yeah, Waldo Waldo Salt, Robert C. Jones, and Nancy Dowd are all credited for uh, an Oscar an Oscar win for this screenplay. So, cool little trio going on there writing. Um, now, cinematographer Haskell Wexler, boy, coming home really shows off a few times. You know, it doesn't really need to have that stuff, but it shows off a few times with how it's framed and how it's shot. And I immediately was like, Jesus Christ, they're like, who is this guy? You know, it was one of those, uh, especially that finale uh, mm-hmm. with with uh, with our guy, Bruce Dern, with uh, Captain Hyde going into the going into the ocean. It was just such a painfully but beautifully dark shot that I'll never, ever forget. And uh, the music that's playing, I'll talk about that later for sure. The music that's playing and just the implications of that scene. Just like wow, that's that's a shot that's going to be implemented in my head for 
probably forever. Yeah, I've got quite a lot to say about that scene as well. I, have a, I had a feeling that's what we were going to have some uh, some overlap. So we'll see. Yeah, I do think we both, you know, res- responded to certain moments. Uh, it's it's hard not to. Uh, fucking fucking crazy stuff going on at the towards the end of the movie. It's this kind of slow build up to something just super devastating. So Haskell Wexler, though, uh, you know, this this is my kind of guy right here. Uh, he won Best Cinematography for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, 1966. He was nominated for One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, 1975. He won 1976, Bound for Glory. Uh, and then 1989, he was nominated for Blaze, Best Cinematography. So yeah, this guy has got some shots, you know. And this is, you know, if you're the guy behind... You know, coming home, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? You have, you have my admiration. I have been trying to watch Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for so long. I have it. I I need to just sit down and enjoy that movie. I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, it's one of those. It would be such a good Oscar Sunday, and it's one of those like, should we just do it on here, or do we wait till you know? You I know? mean, it'd be a great opportunity to finally talk about you know Liz and Dick. Yeah. Hollywood's yeah. original power couple. <laughs> it would. You're right. There's a lot of things around that movie that, that we could just kind of get down on. So uh, I know you're going to hate this, but he also shot uh, Faces, John Cassavetti's 1968 movie that we talked about on this show. He also shot In the Heat of the Night. Uh, he shot The Conversation, 1974. Um, yeah, this guy's a fucking freak. And these, this is like this is why I miss doing this on this show, these individual things. Cause you realize like, Holy fuck, this is an artist that I love that I didn't even know. You know, uh, I, that's one of my favorite things we've ever done on any of our podcasts. It's just that kind of discovery. Yeah. Just, that's what it's all about for me is learning and, you know, finding new things about film to love and enjoy and appreciate. And yeah, that's that added to that big time. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the goal is we both, we both like to have fun, but we also really want to learn and grow as, as cinephiles and kind of well-rounded film buffs. So uh, last guy I want to talk about is the, the film editor for this movie. Uh, Don Zimmerman. His one nomination is for this movie, but you know, I, lo- I looked into his stuff and I was like, the fuck, you know, it was one of those, like, I'm not really blown away, but okay. Like recently, he's done Jumper, 2008, Flight of the Phoenix, 2004, Men in Black 3. What, in the, you know, like what in the world? <laughs> Rush Hour 3, you know, I like, who is this guy? <laughs> uh, he did Rocky 3. I, I don't know. He likes to do sequels. He did Rocky 4, which I love Rocky 4. It's my favorite Rocky. Um, he did Heaven Can Wait, also a movie nominated plenty of times at this uh, 51st Academy Awards. So, Really, really weird career. Yeah, a lot of these, you know, technical guys, they take the work where they can get it. And sometimes it's, you know, weird shit, but sometimes it's masterpieces. You never know. Yeah, I think your favorite title out of all the movies he edited is probably going to be 1999's Galaxy Quest. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, like Half-Baked, Patch Adams. What? Like, Just Married? Okay. I think actually his work on Galaxy Quest is a testament to his skill because that movie had to be re-edited into a kid's movie. Like it was intended to be kind of an R-rated thing. And then 
studio was like, we want to aim it towards kids. So you got to recut that thing. So he's the guy who had to go back and remake that movie into a PG movie. And it's still, it's an, and it's a great movie. So well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. No, he's definitely got some, some, some bangers in here, but also some weird ones. Uh, his most recent um, credit is 2020's Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> uh, Don's, Don Zimmerman. I can just picture him on various film sets telling the coolest fucking stories. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he's just like, I love my job. I'm having fun. You know, I'm doing all, I'm doing all kinds of different films. I have no, I have no uh, snob in me. I have no none of that in my DNA. I'll do whatever. Uh, but I did work on Coming Home at one at one point, <laughs> at one point in my life. Uh, so really, really cool. Uh, these people are great, man. This is why this is why we partly why we do this show. Why we just watch a shit ton of stuff is to learn about the people that make it happen. Um, do you have something out of this, what we've learned here from, you know, maybe Jane Fonda or Hal Ashby? Is there, is there a film you're like, I need, I'm, I'm going to watch that now. I want to, I want to finish, uh, Pacula's, uh, paranoia trilogy. Okay. Uh, the parallax view you said. Yes. With Warren yeah. Beatty. Yeah. yeah. I got to watch that. Yeah. That is my favorite Beatty performance by, by a quarter mile. I love him in that movie. God, I love the seventies. <laughs> I, yeah, I really responded to that one. It was on Criterion. I, I watched that not that long ago. Uh, I gave it like a nine out of 10, four and a half star kind of movie. I really, really liked it. And uh, yeah, that trilogy is something special, something to behold. Uh, I definitely, Harold and Maude is the one that I'm like, all right, it might be time. Uh it's the most popular Hal Ashby film. It's the one that's kind of lasted the longest. It's the one that's got the most going forward on, you know, Letterboxd and all those different kind of sites. So I, I, I need to check that out. It's it, next time I stumble across it, it might be time. So, um, but yeah, I'd love for you to finish the par- the, the parallax view, finish that trilogy. Uh, I can't believe we haven't done any of those movies on the show. You know, all the presence men is fucking incredible. Uh, but clue clue. Really glad you watched that. Yeah, me too. And I, you know, I watched all the President's Men just for kicks uh, not that long ago, and because it's yeah, I adored yeah, it. Because it's it's Redford and Hoffman. Like, what more? You know, yeah. what like two guys at the complete apex of their careers. You know, like well, what more yeah. could you want? The story of the guys who took down Nixon. Like, it's an amazing story, and yeah, well done movie. So yeah, for sure, for sure, dude. Uh, well, I think next we should do our awards for coming home. Before we dive into the 51st Academy Awards, uh, I want to I want to go ahead and we, we've been we've been teasing, you know, we've been kind of knocking on the door. I want to go ahead and talk about what we loved with this movie, because we we definitely, you know, have, have some stuff to say. Uh, you know, we got we got the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best quote of the movie. Very tough. Great, great screenplay. A lot of very. Kind of uh, wrap the movie in one type type quotes in it and I, I love movies like that uh the Ennio Morricone award for the best music moment there is no score in coming home it's all soundtrack uh that's a creative decision from Hal Ashby and I respect it a lot I think it works for this movie I think it works for this time period you get to use 1968 let's use 1968 you know and I, I thought that was really cool uh the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for the best performance of the movie we got four motherfuckers that have have a have a, have an argument here, and I can't wait to hear what you got. Uh, and then finally, we have the Roger Deakins Award. I still have two things written down because I don't know what to choose. 
let's get to it, man. What's your Tarantino? My Tarantino comes uh, towards the end. It's when uh, Hyde learns about the affair and uh, confronts Luke with a gun. And Luke tells him, I'm not the enemy. Maybe the enemy is the fucking war, but you don't want to kill anybody here. You have enough ghosts to carry around. Oh, fuck. And then that, you know, jumps Hyde out of his stupor. And he's like embarrassed that he had a gun pointed at, at Luke. And Luke just leaves because he knows that they've got shit to talk about. Like, God damn, what a profound and mature reaction to that whole situation. Like that could have been, you know, two crazy people just screaming about, you know, she's mine. But it, it was, you know, I know what you went through. Don't let it take you over. It's like, fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the best scenes of the movie for sure. And the way John Voight just carries himself in that wheelchair, you know, he, he just kind of the calmness of like, I, I know what you know, and you know what I know. And we both know it's fucked up, right? Let's just, let's call it, let's, let's call, let's call a spade a spade. And I loved that scene. And Bruce Stern is, his eyes are fucking like, you believe Bruce Stern went to war in yeah. that scene. Yeah. You believe, like, I thought he was going to shoot him. Like there you don't know what's going to happen there. It's so up in the air. And, you know, you're just thinking, like, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't let the war win, man. Yeah. God. Uh, ah, brilliant stuff, man. That's a good, that's a really good pick. I, I thought you would choose that. And there's also another line uh, when Bruce Stern's at the bar. You and I, in Hong Kong, you and yeah. I talked about this last night. We were texting and I was like, dude, that was a fucking sick fucking quote. Uh, when he talks about, on TV, they show what it's like. They sure as hell don't show what it is, you know. Uh, like that's oh man, because uh, he's 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 finally he's like it's fucked up, man. Like he's having one of those moments of this panic attack of I got to get out of here. It's fuck everywhere I go is claustrophobic because I can't stop thinking about how fucked up it is. And I I, I thought you would choose that, um, but it was between those two. I, I knew I I I've got to know you through these Tarantinos. <laughs> I, I I had that written down until the the confrontation scene, and I'm like, no, 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 that was that got into my head. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I did something similar. I uh, right when the movie started, uh, the like opening dialogue I wrote, I was like, yeah, that's that's gonna win. And throughout the movie, I was like, ah, ah, fuck. <laughs> you know? But I stuck with it. I stuck with that scene when we see Luke Martin with a bunch of other. Uh, wounded vets and they're hanging out playing pool and just kind of you know smoking and doing doing random shit and they're talking i found that to be one of the most engaging opening scenes of any war movie i've ever seen in my life uh so there's two vets talking back and forth the first one says some of us not all of us some of us need to justify ourselves what the fuck we did over there so if we come back and we say what we did was a waste of time what happened to us was a waste some of us can't live with it the other guy said so they go out and they do it again Goes back to the other vet. So they say, well, they got to keep, man. You know, they, they got to. <laughs> and he's stumbling through his words because he doesn't even know what the fuck's going on. And I love that about it. So, so they say, well, they got to keep, man. They got to make you, you, you know, inside of themselves. They're lying to themselves continuously saying what I did was OK, because this is what I got from it, man. I have to justify by being fucking paralyzed. I have to justify killing people. So I say it was OK. But how many guys, though, can make the reality and say what I did was wrong? And all this other shit that was going on was wrong, man. And still be able to live with themselves because they're crippled for the rest of their fucking life. 
just like it's it's uh it's it's like a stoner wounded vet scene 1968 middle of the war a guy who's just trying to explain uh, what he feels and he can't even get through part of that that paragraph he can barely get through he doesn't like know how to articulate what he's what he wants to say but he knows what it means inside of him and like you can feel that these are just fucking random guys in this movie and luke martin's kind of looking around like you know you know he's laying on that table with his you know on his stomach and you're like that's john fucking voight with the fucking surfer boy hair and the beard and the the the, like shark tooth necklace going on you know that's that and he's just watching this happen i love when movies utilize kind of their surroundings their setting their supporting characters their background characters for huge moments like this and it really buckles you in you have at that point no choice but you're like oh this is gonna be a serious fucking movie about stuff that i know nothing about so when when they try to explain it to me through that through that wounded vet i was like that was so sincere and i love that touch of the screenplay i love it i love in that scene the one the one soldier who's trying to justify his patriotic duty to like free this country of tyranny because it's like a regime that's you know making them do something they don't want that's forcing them into this war and some other guys like isn't that just the draft like how yeah. is that not what we're doing and he was he's kind of like well yeah like he, he gets shot down immediately like yeah good point that whole conversation was a brilliant way to start this movie yeah just genius genius stuff you know and yeah great 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 intro to it to a great movie. So I, I I stuck with it, stuck with my guns, even though there's fucking amazing lines throughout this movie, you know. Um, and everybody delivers the entire film. So yeah, that's that was a tough Tarantino for sure. Uh, and this this is on the word we both feel very strongly about. You know, we love writing. We both love good story and good great dialogue from great actors, and we got all of that in this movie. Uh, here we go. This is going to be fascinating. The Ennio Morricone Award for the best music moment. Uh, this is a crazy, crazy good soundtrack. Got two Beatles songs, like five or six Rolling Stone songs. You got Bob Dylan. You got Tim Buckley, Janis Joplin, all these legends from, from this time. What did you go with? So I did initially have the opening credits with um, Out of Time by the Rolling Stones. I thought that was Ugh. brilliant. Something yeah. hypnotic about Bruce Dern just jogging through a military base. I, I don't know what that was, but it, it hooked me in immediately. Yeah. But that got eclipsed, and I know I'm going to step on toes here. Once I was by Tim Buckley. Oh, yeah. Me too. That's what I chose. Yeah. Holy shit, man. I just seeing all three of them and where they are now with that song playing and like what they've lost, it's, it's so powerful. And you know, it's to me, it's like the moment where John Voight won his Oscar, where he's talking to these kids and he's trying his hardest not to cry about everything he did in Nam and how it just changed him irreparably. And then Bruce Dern essentially giving up and Jane Fonda just continuing her life at the grocery store. It's like, what, how do you end a movie like that? How do you just show us, like, you know, this is what happens to, to soldiers who are, you know, quote unquote broken and i just i yeah i was i was floored <laughs> yeah me me too man uh i i fucking love tim buckley 
And I did not know that I knew this soundtrack was going to be slapping and it was going to be, you know, jumping Jack flashes playing when they're playing wheelchair football at one point. I was like, this is fucking cool as shit. Like just damn, what great choices, you know, strawberry fields forever is playing at one point just, and it's, it's so subtle, right? It's like, sometimes it's loud and, and like right in front of you. It's like, it's like the main character, like, like Tim Buckley, but then, and then sometimes at one point we see John Voight, we see Luke Martin turn the stereo down yeah. and the music turns down and you're like, I'm here with him. One of my favorites was Bruce Stern in, um, in Hong Kong with sympathy for the devil, just kind of creeping in as he starts, you know, talking more about what's bothering him. It was just so well done. It wasn't like, you know, super, you know, it wasn't really super soundtracky. It was just like, in, it, was, it was like a like a worm just kind of crawling in your ear. It was like, you know, it's there. You, you can hear it, but you're not quite paying that much attention to it. Mm. It was so well done. Yeah, extremely. But but that that finale with with that song, you know, the song opens up. You know, once I was a soldier and I fought in foreign sands for you. Once I was a hunter and I brought home fresh meat for you. Like what a great decision to like choose that song, and, and man, that like I could talk about that album for for hours. That is Goodbye and Hello, nineteen sixty seven. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, and Tim Buckley is like one of my guys. He was not the best dude, you know. Um, he died in his twenties, like I think he was twenty eight when he died of a heroin overdose, and you know was a father to. to Two children, including, of course, Jeff Buckley, the legend himself, who uh, also had a short life, died at age 30 in the late 90s. And uh, Tim Buckley wanted like nothing to do with Jeff, you know, like had kids way too early. And all of his music is like so very clearly him running from something. And I've always been enamored by by Tim Buckley. And there was, there was for sure a stretch in my life where I was, I like leaned on, on this album, Goodbye and Hello. I leaned on it like heavily and kind of abused it. You know, you know, sometimes I think we as humans, you know, there's a difference between consuming and like abusing art. And I was definitely abusing that album. And, uh, you know, that song, Pleasant Street, I Never Asked to Be Your Mountain, like those songs are just huge huge staples in my life so when i heard once i was when i heard it for the first time i was like oh my god like i had no idea you know um and that speech from luke martin and we can go ahead and say it you know when captain hyde commits suicide uh and 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 you know sally his uh his, his wife has no idea you know she's back doing her own thing it's just one of the most poetic fucking endings I've ever seen. And it, the whole movie, I was like, this is solid. This is really solid. And I was like, this is like an, this is like an eight out of 10 movie. That scene alone was like, is this a 10? Is this movie fucking perfect? Is this a masterpiece because of those decisions in the, you know, at the end of the movie to not just be like the movie's over, but to just punch you like right in the fucking throat. And that song with it is like, what a, what a choice. One of the best needle drops, hands down. And if anything, I'm glad like I saw this movie for that moment. And uh, I'll, never for, I'll never forget it. You know, I was sobbing like a fucking child when that song started playing and like the things that happened, happened. Uh, fucking brilliant, brilliant stuff. And 
I that might just be my deacons. You know what I mean? It's like they kind of go hand in hand. You're like, I don't fucking know. Like that was such a brilliant ending finale. Uh, I could not ignore it as my Ennio Morricone. I could not ignore that brilliant needle drop. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, yeah, I didn't quite know like how to react to it. I was like, what what's happening right now? Like we don't get our we don't we don't get our everything's going to be okay ending because everything's not going to be okay. You know, you can't fix this kind of wound. And the movie accepts that. And you get to see, you know, two very different ways to deal with that kind of trauma. Uh Yeah, I appreciate the like how Ashby for having the, you know, the guts to actually do that. And and it, it's an unforgiving, unflinching ending, but it, the movie needs it. Yeah, I agree. It takes it to a different level. Uh, that sometimes the like if you stick the landing and like you can stay in people's hearts and people's minds, and I, I, I it's going to be with me forever. <laughs> That's for sure. Damn, <laughs> for sure, man. Yeah, I knew when I was watching this the whole time. I kept thinking like, you are going to love this, and yeah. there are moments where you are going to hate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, I, I love hate. Like, I love that hate. Like, but you really love, like, it's a love hate thing. I have love hate relationship. I love that feeling because I'd rather be stirred and disturbed and fucked up than just like, eh, just watch another movie. I way rather be like fucked up. I just way rather be punched in the face and moved in some way than just be like, well, I just watched this thing and like, I'm going to forget about it tomorrow. Yep. I was thinking about coming home all day at work and all day at work. I was singing fucking, I was singing this song. Once I was that, that chorus of, you know, when Tim Buckley's weird high pitched voice, you know, goes up to when he sings, remember me. And you're like, Oh my God, like such a fucking cool song. Uh, yeah. Jesus. I don't know if you, are you a fan of his or, 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 or have you listened to him before? I had never heard his name before i watched this dude movie. you would yeah listen that album specifically goodbye and hello you'll just like it'll just fucking knock you on your ass like it's it's so good uh it's he definitely has like a cult following these days and i had a friend expose me to him when i was i don't know it, it was maybe like five six years ago uh and i'll never i'll always owe that friend for for Cause it's, it's one of those artists where I'm like, this is my, this is one of my people. Like he, he, he's singing about stuff that I, I want to hear about. And yeah, Whew, Tim Buckley's the man. I'm so glad I, I don't, I didn't think I'd ever be able to talk about him on any of our shows, but here, here we fucking are. Thanks coming home. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, man. I love when one of us has these personal connections that we didn't know we'd be able to bring out. It's, it's a great moment. Yeah, I, I I didn't know what to do. Like when the movie ended, I was like, uh, <laughs> like how how the fuck am I gonna go to bed right now? Like I just uh, I'm like I've my shirt's covered in my own tears, and I, I'm like I was like sweating, you know? I was like ah, oh, just sitting in my filth. <laughs> and again, I, I I wouldn't trade that for the world, you know? Those those moments make you as a as a as a fan of art. They they form you and who you are and. Coming home. This is the movie I won't forget about. Um, we haven't even gotten to the other two awards. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. This is tough. This is tough. This was this was tough, but 
simply because I didn't know he had it in him because I'd never seen him like this. I gave it to John Voight. I mean, holy hell, man. Like the commitment, the the pain, the rage, the love, it all like the guilt. It's he's carrying all of that all at once. And he doesn't let it break him. It's it's a amazing character. It's an inspiring character. And he he deserved that win 100 percent I'm I'm so glad I got to kind of learn who John Voigt was as a as a performer with this movie. Yeah, that's I totally understand that. I mean <laughs> he's he's doing one of those things where it's a career making performance if you're looking for it. Uh you know, there's a difference between like someone like Tom Cruise doing fucking Top Gun. It's like, oh, this guy's career is about to change. And then, there, and then there's roles like this, John Voight and Coming Home. Like, holy shit, have you seen that? That's one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life type thing. So I totally get that. And, and this is probably my bias coming out, but I, I give it to Jane Fonda. I, <sighs> Fonda does stuff with her face that I'm like, what the fuck? Like, it's it's like the stuff they teach people that want to learn how to act. She just has this, I, you know, it's it's it might have something to do with her last name. She has this natural ability to just do what I want my actors to do when I'm watching a movie. She just has that that thing, that like it factor that I, I I'm obsessed with, and I'm always like watching for, you know, when I'm watching performers and. Man, I love her in Clute. I love her in the China Syndrome, but man, this might be my favorite performance of hers. It's just the subtle changes she makes throughout the film. This two-hour movie that that really does such a good job. This is again, you know, hats off to Mr. Don Zimmerman. The way it's edited is is so fine-tuned that you don't really notice time time elapsing or whatever. You're just kind of along for the ride and it all makes sense i'm never like wait a minute how does that add up you know how, how did that happen the love story between her her and her and john voight like i believe it that moment when they finally when they did this it's one of the best sex scenes i've ever seen in my life is that between them two that it's, just, it's like one of the it's like one of the only ones that's worthwhile that i've seen where it's like wow it had a lot to do with the story and it like felt right it felt like there was a right enough amount of time. The tension was like rising just enough that like sexual tension they have. And, and I was blown away by both of them, man. So they're Bruce Stern's great. Penelope Milford is great. I do think these two are on, on some other fucking, you know, they're in a different ballpark during this movie and has to go to one of them too. Yeah. I figured you were going to go Fonda. I've, you've, you've had yeah. such a fondness for her for over the past year and a half like i i knew any movie jane fonda does like that we do it's you're gonna go find it probably <laughs> and there's it's nothing tough. wrong with that it's tough yeah <laughs> i love her yeah i love her love her to death she's become yeah like one of my five favorite actresses of all time you know she's one of the she's like in that 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 zone for me can't say the same about john Voight. <laughs> not yet not yet i see more stuff you know I got to see what baby genius is six. I got to see that. We got to see what he does in that first. You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, avoid. This is like a museum performance from him. We're like humans. Most humans can't do that. You know, 
when he's uh, the scene when he's talking to the kids and his voice starts cracking and he's like the things i did over there i have to live with that and yeah. even the even the soldier who came there to recruit kids is like nearing tears and like holy hell man i you believe it you believe he went through that shit it's it's incredible yeah well, well let's go ahead and go to the deacons uh that's that it has to be mine i mean it's the you know it's the Tim Buckley scene. It's the the speech. It's the suicide attempt. The last lines of the movie are, and I'm just telling you that there's a choice to be made here. That's the last line of the movie. You know, this guy in a wheelchair who has to lower the microphone because no one fucking does it for him. You know, like even that decision was like, wow, like what a subtle little thing that like the person who introduced him didn't have, didn't, didn't have the mindset or, you know, couldn't look past his own fucking nose to 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 help this guy out who fought for you motherfucker (laughs) you know it it was one of those kind of like yeah nobody's paying attention to this guy anymore because he's in a wheelchair but he's a hero uh wow what a scene the finale is just something else yeah it's beautiful and tragic and heartbreaking uh but it's not what i picked i i can't wait to hear what you got you know uh there's there's contenders i have such a subtle moment that I didn't think was going to like affect me as much as it did. It's um, when Billy uh, Vi's brother realizes he can't play his guitar anymore. Mm. And Luke embraces him and starts crying with him. It's the first time in the movie we see Luke as a vulnerable person. Cause he's just mm. this kind of brash, angry man, the whole movie, like the whole time until that moment. And then he's like, fuck man you can't play guitar and he like hugs him from behind and they just have this moment of like two human beings fractured by war wishing things were different it was such a beautiful moment that i i stuck with that yeah god good pick good pick that is that is filmmaking right there you know just all the emotions coming coming at coming into the forefront and and a good like a good turning point movie of luke luke's character Fucking hell, man. <laughs> this movie this movie fucking rules. You know, I really did not think we'd get this out of this movie when, when I picked it. Because we've never done this ceremony. And I really was just looking for an excuse to do this ceremony. To do 1978. And I was like, I don't want to do the Deer Hunter. I want to save that for a big Best Picture showdown later down the line. Love that movie. But this, like, this has an argument to be better than that movie. And I had no idea that I would think that and a crazy double feature. Yeah. 78, you had two Vietnam movies about, you know, the horrors of that war destroying people. And yeah, it's a toss up, man. Like they're both incredible films. And I, I don't know. I want to see the other three so I can make a, make a judgment call here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <sighs> which, which leads us to the 51st Academy Awards. Let's, let's talk about, some of some of the stuff here we'll talk about the 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 categories that come home was in there's eight of them uh we'll save the winners for later we'll we'll do screenplay best actress and best actor later uh so we'll start with some of the other 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 stuff is there anything else you want to say just kind of generally about about coming home any, any other scenes that kind of jumped out to you um uh, i love that we like luke and sally meet each other by him slamming into her and dumping his piss bag on her yeah yeah. That's a love story for the ages right there. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> I love I love this another subtle scene that I thought was really fucking good was when 
she admits to him uh sally admits to luke when he's playing basketball with his buddies she's at the at the fence holding on to the fence and she's like oh bob's gonna be in hong kong that's where i'm going so i'll be gone for a while he's great see you later and he just wheels off yeah and then when she's walking away he he like finally looks back and he's like god damn it <laughs> you can tell I'm in love with this woman <laughs> in the way he's talking you can tell he is so fucking hurt that she's going to see her husband he's like yeah no that's fine yeah that's fine what you got to do? Fuck it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> My problem. Like, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It feels like real people dealing with real shit. And that that's rare in film. It really is. I agree. All right. I think the best place to start with these, uh, these categories, with these nominations for coming home is best film editing. Um, because there's, I mean, man, dude, this movie was up for some massive, massive awards. So, film editing is technically the least, which I hate doing that, but we got to start somewhere. Uh, the winner is Peter Zinner for The Deer Hunter, uh, Robert E. Swink for The Boys from Brazil, uh, Don Zimmerman coming home, Jerry Hambling for Midnight Express, a movie I've, I've got to see that movie. And then this is great. Uh, Stuart Baird for Superman. <laughs> Crazy. This is a, this is a, a group. I've, I've seen three of these movies. Of course, you know, Superman coming home and the deer hunter. Uh, if I had a vote, I'd give it to coming home. Mm, I do love Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Those first two Superman's are fucking great movies. Um, Crazy cast. Yeah, I know. Hackman as Luthor. I still I, can't believe it. Yeah, I know. I still get chills just so I can, I'm like, that. the guy who was in French Connection just like a decade before? Are you kidding me? Um, It's been a minute since I watched The Deer Hunter. Like, a long time. So I'm gonna, because I can't really give an informed decision on that one, I am gonna go coming home. That's fair. That's totally fair. You know, it is when you watch it, you know, really, you know, we just watched this, you know, days, less than 24 hours ago for me and for you just a couple days ago. So yeah, that, that recency bias can come in, but man, I was rocked by this movie. I really like the deer hunter. You know, I've owned it for years and uh, my bro- my brother owned it back when like we were in high school and he showed it to me and I was completely rocked by it, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, around the time when I was watching you know, the Godfather and those like quintessential seventies movies. And I wanted to watch as much De Niro as I could. So a uh, very like kind of formative movie for me. But yeah, I was I, I was just rocked by the the approach of coming home, and I thought it was edited really well for just kind of seamlessly going through this love story while also talking about the matters at hand with our country at that time, yeah. and uh, you know, guys being fucked up by by going and fighting in one of the nastiest wars of all time. Well, the ending with you know juxtapositioning you know John Voight talking to the kids and Bruce Dern suicide attempt and Sally. I mean, uh, let's call her Sally Field because her name's Sally. Um, (laughs) At the grocery store, like with the music, like all that was edited so well to feel like one coherent like moment. So yeah, Coming Home really does excel in the editing department. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Let's do... This is tough. Let's do actor in a supporting role and then actress in a supporting role, then directing. What do you think? Sounds good. Okay, this... I don't have a lot of arguments here. Um, the winner of this award is Christopher Walken and the Deer Hunter. Lights out. Uh, Bruce Stern coming home. 
Richard Farnsworth for Comes a Horseman. Haven't seen that one. Uh, John Hurt for Midnight Express. Again, I hate when this happens. There are certain movies I'm like embarrassed that I haven't seen it, and Midnight Express is one of those. Uh, Jack Warden for Heaven Can Wait. I don't think that's a very good nomination for for, for that movie. Uh, for, for that performance is, is is good and all, Jack Warden, but it's kind of silly at times and just not really my kind of uh, compared to what Walken's doing, what Dern's doing, and just no thanks. So my my vote is to Walken for sure. It's interesting, is Walken and Dern are playing very similar characters here. Yeah. Um, shit. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to Walken. That performance. Yes, it's it's tough frightening that his performance in that just how broken and like gone his character gets in that movie like it's yeah it's it's for the ages and i'm so glad that walken has a win just because i love him so much me too me too i he's one of those guys that just deserves something to kind of uh put in the cabinet you know (laughs) towards towards his name because because he's got so much under his belt, like so much work and so many kind of iconic um, roles within so many genres that I think it's cool that he has as, as a piece of gold. Should have had a second win for true romance. Just that one scene alone. He, he dominates almost that whole fucking. Yeah. Movie. Yeah, he does. Jesus. I love true romance. That would be such a fun Oscar Sunday too. If we could... <laughs> oh man. Yeah. He's, he's great in that. Um, yeah, yeah, walking, and he's the guy who I remember most from from Deer Hunter, so that feels right. Uh, best actress in a supporting role. Love this category because I've seen all of them except for one. Uh, Maggie Smith won for California Suite. Not a great movie, but a good performance. Uh, Diane Cannon for uh, Heaven Can Wait. Penelope Milford for Coming Home. Maureen Stapleton for Interiors. That I believe is a Woody Allen film, but I uh, have not seen that one. And uh, Meryl Streep, the deer hunter. Meryl Streep, this is one of her 21 nominations. Uh, just fucking crazy when you think about it that way. Maggie Smith is another kind of Christopher Walken type where you're like, I'm glad she has this, you know? Yeah, I yeah, I don't have much to add to this one. I, I've just seen Coming Home and the Deer Hunter. Uh, so I'm California Sweet, was that a deserved win for Maggie? She's really good in it. It's not a great movie and kind of has been kind of shit on in re- more recent years of just being kind of like what the fuck was that but it's got some fun moments because it's about uh, her character is going to the oscars like she's nominated at the oscars in the movie and she wins the oscar uh so that that was neat you know uh, cool cast and all and just kind of one of those all-star cast that didn't quite give a great story but good performances and and i had a good time and i love maggie smith so i'm cool with it if I really was voting, probably go Penelope Milford. Uh, Meryl Streep is great in The Deer Hunter, but uh, I, I Penelope doing something really, really unique and coming home, so I'd probably go with her. Yeah, moments like, you know, after she loses her brother and she just, like, pushes it away, forgets to, like, does not, just refuses to face the reality until she tries, you know, hook, to hook up with those guys, and it just explodes out of her, and those two guys are like, well, it looks like we're not getting laid. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a very, very raw scene. Yeah. They're like, he's like, he like, he goes like, he does one of those like, damn it. <laughs> he, he like, he like swings his arm like in the in the air like, ah, fuck, <laughs> I was almost there, you know. One of those douchey just male moments. Uh, yeah, that was that was a very impactful scene. And what a friend Sally is in that moment. You know, she embraces her in the restroom and is like, hey, are you okay? And 
tough stuff. Tough stuff for Vi. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, it would have been cool if she got the win, but I do want to see Maggie Smith's performance here before I really make that call. Uh, totally understand. Uh, how about best directing? This is another win for the deer hunter. Uh, did really, really well at this, at this ceremony. Uh, but you know, you have coming home in there again, heaven can wait interiors and midnight express. Uh, again, seen three of these, haven't seen interiors or Midnight Express. I am chomping at the bit to see Midnight Express, but not so much interiors. You know, uh, we've both we've both voiced how we're not big Woody Allen fans. Uh, I've liked some of the stuff I've seen, but I'm not like itching to study him, uh, mainly because you know who he is and what we know about him now. Uh, but also his movies, to me, he's one of those guys where it's like, was he really uh, like that many times? Was he really giving the best? in these categories that many times, you know, I, I have a hard time believing it. There's no way that he's just become one of those names where it's like, if he writes something, he's going to be up. He's kind of, you know, I don't want to discount Meryl Streep's performances, but are they all yeah. worth the nominations? It's kind of that same thing. It's like, she's a probably name. not their names. So attached to the Oscars that it's just par for the course. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Meryl like 20, really like that doesn't seem right. Especially in, in, in modern movie making. You know, it'd be one thing if it was from 1930 to 1950, where you got, you know, 12 nominations in that time. That would make a little more sense than Meryl Streep's done it from the 70s to now. Like, all right. I mean, there's so many movies coming out, so many different performances. 21 times? <laughs> she really, she really re- reached that kind of a level? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love some of those, though. You know, I love her. I love two of her wins, you know, Sophie's Choice and Kramer's Kramer. Not a huge Iron Lady fan, but it is cool to see her have three. You know, she is she is one of the more iconic uh, people who have ever done it. So uh, with that being said, Woody Allen is not really one of our guys. But uh, if you so if you're voting between Deer Hunter and Coming Home, what, what, what would you go with? Uh, I would, I'd give it to Hal Ashby. Yeah, me too. Me too. This is a this is a directing like showcase. Just <laughs> yeah. really, really, really. Uh, the, the way it's approached is is just unlike any other war movie I've really seen. Yeah, it's the aftermath. It's not the war. It's you know what the war does to people. And yeah, that's, that's brilliant. More, I wish more war movies were kind of focused on that and not so much the action of combat. Yeah, the space between the notes. You know, like what what's really going on and. Love that. Love that about it. So, yeah, I, I'd vote for him as well. Um, let's see. Should we go to best picture? Because that, you know, coming home lost best picture. Or should we go to the wins? Uh, I think we should do the wins last. Okay. So best picture next. Uh, this is, of course, the deer hunter. Uh, it beat coming home. Heaven can wait. Midnight Express and an unmarried woman. I, you know, I tried. Cause I was in my mind, I was like, okay, I have this week. Do I want to go ahead and watch? Cause I, you know, I've seen the deer hunter. I've seen it a few times. I, I really like it. I knew I could watch heaven can wait. Cause it's on paramount plus right now. So I was like, okay, I'm going to watch that just to get some more, you know, background, background stuff. I looked for midnight express and an unmarried woman on streaming and I couldn't find them. I would have watched them. I would have made time for them, but I couldn't find them anywhere. And I was like, I'm not about to rent both of these for a non best picture showdown show so one day we will knock all five of these movies out and talk about them on an episode 
and have a lot more to say about all five of them. But of the three I've seen, two of them very good, Deer Hunter coming home, and Heaven Can Wait, just not quite up to par with the best picture category for me. You know, yeah. There's a little movie called Halloween that came out that year. <laughs> that movie's better than Heaven Can Wait. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not talking about just for me. I'm talking about from a grand scale of like what's a good movie you know and that's just it's just annoying you know when that happens but coming home and deer hunter they deserve to be there i'm looking up midnight express this sounds very intriguing yeah 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 it's up our alley an unmarried woman frankly doesn't but you know i could be wrong maybe it's great (laughs) uh yeah this will be an interesting showdown when we get when we get to the deer hunter someday yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm excited. I love these 70s Oscar episodes that we do. You know, we just never know exactly what you're going to find and what you're going to connect with. And uh, we will. We will. We will do that one day. I'm not sure when, but could be years from now. We never know. You know, we don't know how 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 this you know the schedule lines up. There's 52 episodes in a year. We like to spread the love and do all kinds of movies. We never know when we'll be back to a, a certain ceremony. For one, I- I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did the com- uh, coming home episode before we did a best picture showdown because now I'm coming into that. Whenever we do do that, I'm going to be like, fuck yeah, I get to rewatch coming home, you know, and like rock my world. So that- that'll be exciting. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And, you know, maybe it'll have some serious competition because right now that I'm-, I'm leaning towards coming home for a for a best picture win. I- yeah, I'm totally with you, man. So uh, let's do... Best actress in lead role. Here's we're gonna get to the three wins for for this is a cool fucking group. Uh, Jane Fonda wins, coming home. Uh, a little Titan named uh, Ingrid Bergman nominated for Autumn Sonata. That's her last nomination. I've actually seen that. I didn't mean to. Like I I, I didn't I didn't mean to. Uh, like I wasn't going to watch an Oscar nominated performance. I was like, oh, Autumn Sonata. You know, this is. This is uh this is Bergman and Bergman together, you know, and this is also Liv Ullman who worked with Ingmar Bergman over and over, and I've always heard about that uh, director actress uh, partnership and that duo, and so I put it on Criterion one time, and I was like, this is really fucking good, and Ingrid Bergman is much older in the movie because you know it's 1978. I I was accustomed to you know Gaslight, you know what I mean, and so it was a completely completely different scenario. And she's amazing in it. She plays uh, Liv Ullman's mom in the movie. And she is, man, she's like a villain in the movie. And she's fucking frightening, uh, subtly frightening. And yeah, you would love that performance. I, I, I think it, I think her and Fonda, like there's an argument for, for both of them. Um, Ellen Burstyn was nominated that year for same time next year. Love Ellen Burstyn. I'd love to see that movie. Uh, Jill Clayburgh for An Unmarried Woman. There's that movie again. Um, and then uh, Geraldine Page for uh, Interiors, uh, Woody Allen. Woody Allen usually gets a couple, you know, his performers usually get a, get, get a, get a nomination. So uh, I've only seen two of these, but this is a pretty star-studded group here. And uh, I, I intend on trying to see those others whenever we do that showdown. And I love to do a little extra work and watch same time next year because Ellen Burstyn's awesome. Yeah, you know I have a big affinity for Ingrid Bergman. And yeah, honestly, yeah. not a. I, I'm sure I would adore. I'm. I, yes, I, I very much like to watch that. Yeah, you you would really dig that. That's like a. That's one of those dramas that's like underneath it is a horror movie where you're like, ah, uh, uh, you know what I mean? You know, the best. Those, 
yeah it has those elements of like yeah this is like high quality dramatic filmmaking with that underlying like freaky thing going on between family members where you're like i don't like this you know this isn't right it doesn't need doesn't always need blood and gore and jump scares to uh freak you out you know and i think autumn sonata has some freak out type type stuff going on so you would dig it man it's surprisingly you know when i watched it i was like okay this is really good i didn't realize how critically acclaimed it was until after and i was reading about it i was like damn people love this movie like this is this is a classic to a lot of you know cinephiles has a has a really high letterbox score of like a 4.3 or something and i was like okay this is people like this shit so good stuff You, you you dig that one um best actor in a lead role this is a group of different fucking guys. I'd love to see all these guys in the same movie doing something crazy. Uh, best actor in a lead role. The winner, John Voight for Coming Home. He beat Warren Beatty for Heaven Can Wait. Gary fucking Busey for the Buddy Holly story. Crazy that he has, you know, his name in the hat here. Uh, Robert De Niro for The Deer Hunter. And motherfucking Lawrence Olivier for The Boys from Brazil. So you've got... You know, people think Lawrence Olivier, you know, there's people out there who think he's the, you know, he's God's gift to earth. There's people who think De Niro is the greatest actor to ever live. Warren Beatty is, is, is a guy who did it all throughout his career and was super famous. Uh, and, and, you know, Gary Busey, <laughs> you know, you know, just, yeah, that weird fucking guy from like Black Sheep, you know, like that, you know, Gary fucking Busey. And I think that's amazing. I got to see that movie. Have you seen Buddy Holly's story? Buddy Holly's story is an is a wonderful movie and Gary Busey is fucking phenomenal in it. I will give him that. Fuck. Yeah. This is, you know, pre his motorcycle accident when he was, you know, a fairly stable human being. Uh, I don't know if you caught the news, but um, he got uh, charged with uh, sexual misconduct today. <laughs> today. Today. Yeah. He got, no, hand- did not, yeah. he got handsy at a horror convention and he's being charged for uh, misconduct. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <Despite of> Gary Busey. <laughs> I didn't know. No, I had no idea. I didn't see that. That's crazy that he gets brought up because of the Buddy Holly story and he was nominated and lost to John Voight. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Insane. Um, So I've seen, I've seen that and I've seen Deer Hunter and coming home. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from John Voight. He, he earned this 100%. Yeah. Neither am I, you know, neither of us are big Lawrence Olivier people, so we can kind of count him out. Uh, I do really want to see the boys from Brazil, though. That sounds like such a cool movie. It does. It does. I just I, he he leaves such a bad taste in my mouth because of this show, like the movies we've watched with him, the like Shakespearean stuff. Yes. I'm just not like I'm just not into it. It's not up my alley. That movie is the only one where I'm like, ah, I might like that. <laughs> you know, it's I, it's that one. Have you seen Marathon Man? I like Marathon Man. That's a good shout. That's a good yeah. shout. Yeah. Basically, when it's not Shakespeare, I have no problem with him. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably that's probably what it is. It's not yeah. him. It's it's fucking Shakespeare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that's a guy that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe my my maybe my opinions on him are too strong, and I need to see more stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was nominated like nine times. Uh, so yeah, I would like to see more. Gary Busey has not been nominated nine times. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's very rare that we'll ever bring his name up on this show. But yes, John Voight, not taking anything away from him. No way. Uh, I just, I I would, even if I see the Buddy Holly story and the boys from Brazil, I just have a hard time believing anybody's going to outshine Luke fucking Martin. You know, uh, just no way. Yeah. 
Buddy Holly story is a good movie. Uh, I don't know if you see deserved a nomination for it, but I mean, it's, you know, it's the story of Buddy Holly. How do you not just, you know, I think he does all the singing too, which is impressive. Yeah, that's good. That's always something the Academy uh, enjoys as well. Yeah. All right. Last category before we get the hell out of here. Uh, screenplay written directly for the screen. <laughs> uh, the winner is coming home again, Waldo salt, Robert C. Jones and Nancy Dowd. Uh, cool little trio we talked about earlier. Uh, here's Autumn Sonata again. Ingmar Bergman. Uh, the Deer Hunter. You know, yeah, that movie's everywhere in this ceremony. Interiors, Woody Allen. And An Unmarried Woman. So yeah, we basically have the same group as the Best Picture category. You just swap out um, Heaven Can Wait for Autumn Sonata. So that's interesting. But man... The coming home screenplay gonna be tough to beat. Tough to beat. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like I said, you know, it feels like real people with real situations, and that is incredibly difficult to capture. You'd think it'd be easy. We're all people, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that you know they were able to pull that off, they deserve that win. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, coming home did well. Did well at this ceremony. Lots of nominations. Lots of categories and. It seems like in every single one, we we understand the nomination and that it has like a fighting chance in every category. And in some of them is like the undisputed winner. So very cool, very cool stuff. I think we were, it was a high risk, high reward with this episode, with this movie, both went in blind. Here we are talked about this movie for an hour and a half and we've, we've just gotten so much out of it. Uh, again, you can only find it online on DVD specifically specifically amazon.com uh like connor said it's 12.99 (laughs) and uh there's just there's nowhere else to find it and that's upsetting you know i would love for it to be on fucking netflix at some point you know it's a movie that was you know on a on a budget of three million dollars and made over 30 million you know it's it's one of those kind of little guy gets the win type movies and i i wish it had more of a, a fan club these days well, this movie to me is the perfect, you know, evidence of why I continue to buy physical copy films, because if I didn't, there's no way I ever would have been able to watch this. It's mm. you know, owning a movie is important because if it ever, you know, shit gets lost, shit gets removed and I want to be able to keep watching the movies I love. Yeah, that's a great point. That's definitely why I keep stacking them up, too. And uh, it's good to it's good to find movies like this, you know. You buy you buy fucking dodgeball with Ben Siller and you know and, and, and those guys. That's probably going to be around. You know, it's probably going to be easy to access. But it's good. I think it's good. You know, it's fun to have those. But it's also good to find movies that you're going to connect with that you can't find anywhere else. And it's kind of like it's it's like yours. It's like a baby. You know, you just like want to hold on to it. Just on a whim, just because you know we might one day do them. I picked up Captain's Courageous and Double Indemnity because beautiful. They're, they're classics. They're Oscar darlings that I would want to have immediate access to. There you go. It's coming handy for the show for sure. You know, sometimes we have to buy stuff to even do these, do these episodes. Uh, recently we did, uh, uh, what fucking showdown was it where we had to buy the immigrants? Um, that was for the Godfather. Yeah. 1972. Yeah. I had to buy the immigrants on, and it's only, you can like only, only buy it on criterion. So it's like 25 fucking dollars. We did it. We bought it. We we're like, we have to, <laughs> we can't do the showdown without it. So we have to, we have to fucking find it. We have to buy it. Uh, and that's what happened here. 
with this movie. So I'm sure you're 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 very happy to have it on your shelf, though, man. This is this is one that it, you'll be willing to kind of loan out to people like, hey, check this out. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna take you for a spin. Uh, great movie. Uh, I'm sure we'll reference it again throughout throughout our kind of Oscar Sunday. Uh, you know, as we move forward with the show and just kind of, we always reference old, old episodes and old feelings we've had. And I think this is one that's kind of special to both of us. Uh, this Wednesday on Filmgasm, we're covering a, a fascinating movie from 2008, The Strangers. I remember, I remember actually seeing that movie in theaters and being like, oh, I'm cool. You know, it was like one of those, like, oh, I'm seeing this horror movie. Uh, and that, that was very rare. You know, I went and saw it with a couple friends, I believe. Uh, and, I own it now and I like it. I'm excited for that episode. You know, it's a fun movie. Um, so uh, that's going to be you and uh, Colton. Uh, Caleb. You and Caleb. Yeah. All right. Colton. Uh, Colton's uh, got, got computer issues, huh? Yeah. Still dealing with that, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to figure that out. Come on, my guy, Colton. I, we need, we need him back. Uh, and then on, on Friday, beyond the bad doing a, uh, what Connor described as a knockoff shitty version of John Wick is <laughs> Polar from 2019, just a, a Netflix movie action movie that I remember seeing like on the fucking, you know, the little home screen. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, Netflix one of those has, has given us no shortage of shit movies to cover on that show. And you'd think like Mads Mikkelsen is the star of this movie and leading a, an action thriller, like on paper, this should make sense, but it's a fucking mess. Yeah, God, I love Matt's Mickelson, right? This is this is right before another round. Like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, make doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, it'll be beyond the bad episode. I'm sure you guys will get into kind of this new wave of like shit action movies that came after John Wick. Uh that's certainly a thing that has happened the past few years. Uh next Sunday. Cannot wait to do this movie. I've been I've been kind of circling it since we started this show one of those movies that i was like this would be cool to talk about and cool to show you you know uh the third man from 1949 love this movie i can't wait to revisit it going right back to the 40s you know we 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 have no problem going back to the old the old the old days and and finding those gems and i think this is a gem i know this is a gem and i think you're gonna really really like it man so i love when uh we have these moments of you mentioned earlier I love doing movies that we uh, both have seen a million times and we love them. I love doing movies that neither of us have seen. I love doing movies that I've seen that you haven't or you have and I haven't. You know, it's like all of those things are, are totally okay with me. Um, I'm always down. So stick with us this week. You know, follow us on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, at Filmgasm. Go to our website, filmgasm.com. Connor just put up like 12 fucking reviews the other day and they're all they're all great. You know, I... I tend to always read his stuff as, as I, as I go on breaks at work and stuff, I'll get on filmgasm.com and just kind of see what's going on there. Uh, and you know, we're, we're always, always doing something. So stick with us, uh, keep watching movies and we'll see you on Wednesday.